This episode of the Socks and Sandals podcast is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's is 100% black owned. Uh, you all have heard, if you haven't heard, the owner, the creator of Mr. OK's Essentials was on the Socks and Sandals podcast episode 101. So check it out. But uh, Mr. OK's provides 100% natural candles, body butter, and soap. Okay? 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned, and 100% vibes and love poured into every product. All right, now go to the website, www.mrokesessentials.com. In the checkout, enter promo code SOCKS to receive 10% off your next order, okay? Once again, go to the website, get your candles, get your butter, get your soap, get right, and enter promo code SOCKS, S-O-X, and receive 10% off your next order. And also, after you order, get back to me. Let me know how you liked it. Let me know what candle is popping for you. Just tell me about the body butter. I want to hear y'all's experience with the body butter because it's kind of changed my life. It's taken maybe a year or two off my face. Not to say that I was hurting like that, but hey, it got your boy shining out here. You know what I'm saying? So let me know what y'all think. Get back to me. Promo code socks. Show your support for the podcast and for a young black entrepreneur. All right. Grace and peace. What up, what up, everybody? want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the kitchen. I'm whipping it up. And, yo, this episode here was very... I, I say this every week is very special, but I can't express to y'all enough, man, like how big of a moment this was. And I feel like this is like changing the course of the history of socks and sandals the trajectory of socks and sandals this is my first live show y'all it was in conjunction with camp elso uh, my good friend sprinter brown she is the executive director and one of the co-founders of camp elso which is a camp that is its mission is to empower youth of color to explore the possibilities of careers in science fields by exposure to unique outdoor learning opportunities while nurturing a love for the outdoors. So Camp Elso, E-L-S-O, Experiencing Life Science Outdoors. Now, this was basically, this This was called Green Line, okay? So it was, it was an environmental justice dinner series. Um, and this was the first, I believe, after we did it, it was so amazing. Like this is the first of many, easily. Um, I was privileged to sit with two amazing individuals in the environmental justice world. I don't even know how to say it, but yeah, I believe that's right. <laughs> in the environmental justice world, two amazing, talented, smart, intelligent individuals. So it was uh, the first person that I spoke with that I interviewed live in front of everyone was Amira Streeter. And the second person that you will hear that I interviewed was Edward Hill, uh, Brother Eddie Hill. Now, let me tell you a little bit about um, the first interviewee, Amira Streeter. Amira serves as the Natural Resources Policy Advisor to Governor Kate Brown, the governor of Oregon. Uh, so she's doing big things at the state capitol. Uh, her policy portfolio includes issues regarding agriculture, air and land quality, land use, fish and wildlife, geology, sustainability, and environmental justice. So um, Amira is deep in the game, 
she knows what she's doing she has the experience and she's operating at a very high level advising the governor y'all so without further ado once again i present to you all green line an environmental justice dinner series from camp elso in partnership with the socks and sandals podcast all right let's go come on everybody been a great day so far I, i'm glad you made it here on time a lot of people are struggling in traffic right now <laughs> yeah it was it was a struggle to get here from salem but right. this is so important i, I feel like i had to be here awesome one is time. her can, can y'all hear her no there we go there we <laughs> go all right so amir really quickly tell the people a little bit about yourself who you are where you're from and just a little bit about your educational background Sure, so uh, my name is Amira. I'm originally from Maryland, uh, East Coaster transplant. I've been living in Portland now for nine years. Um, I came here to go to Lewis and Clark Law School. They have the best environmental law program in the country. Um, and I got my Juris Doctorate in uh, Certificate in Environmental and Natural Resources Law. Before that, I went to Skidmore College. It's a school in New York. Mm -hmm. um, out in Santa Cruz Springs, very small town, uh, and got my bachelor's in environmental science with a biology concentration and a uh, double major in dance and art minor. I was a very busy student. That's awesome. Always ambitious. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great background. So how do you like Portland so far? I really enjoy Portland. Um, I, I think, you know, that compared to the East Coast, it's fairly easy to get around. Mm -hmm. It's way less expensive. You have the mountains, you have the coast. It's it's very beautiful. Um, the only problem is that it is very white. Okay. And that's that is kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people of color, of course, here and have a long history being in Portland, a very yeah. rich history mm -hmm. that I appreciate. But I uh, often struggle with being usually the only person of color in the room. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's something that needs to be worked and changed. Yeah. So that means we need some, some more black babies that need to be created. <laughs> if y'all know any eligible bachelors, some brothers out there for a mirror, I need y'all to help her out. <laughs> How do you even know I'm single? So, huh? Oh, my bad. Are... No, I am. I am. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> um, but, but there's a lot of interesting culture around Portland as well. I, I find it, being from the East Coast, you know, it's very fast paced. Yeah. People don't have time for you. They don't usually say like hi to you on the street or good morning or mm. you know they don't smile at you. Yeah. Um, whereas in Portland they do regardless of what they look like. I've often had times where clerks, like store clerks, would tell me about their day and they seem genuinely interested in, mm. in how I am. And I've learned to just slow down. So I think that's one of the best things that I like about Portland. Yeah, Portland is chill like that. We're we're good about that for sure. Yeah. Now tell everybody about the work that you do. You work with uh, the governor, Kate Brown. Yes. Hey, did anybody in here vote for Kate Brown? You can reveal yourself. All right, there you go. We got we got a few supporters in here. So tell us about the work that you do with her and your in your position. Yes. Well, thank you for for voting for her. I think we were at a very, I'm I'm serious because I think we were at a very crucial time where um, where Democrats almost lost the vote there, and um, 
we're gonna vote for New Healer. It was very much straight down the middle. Mm -hmm. And we had this this man who put himself out there like he was environmentalist and he was clearly not. Mm. Um, so I, I work for her as a natural resources policy advisor. And a lot of times that's perceived differently than an environmental policy advisor. Mm. Um, that basically means I, I get to work with the team on various issues that involve agriculture, geology, land use issues. Um, I also work with in the Environmental Justice Task Force and the Sustainability Board very closely. Mm -hmm. And then I manage those other agencies and their work. Um, and basically, I view my job as trying to help them make really good decisions. Um, kind of pushing them to do more environmental protections, but at the same time, holding people accountable. So, for example, uh, Department of Agriculture is trying to raise their fees um, for, for CAFOs, confined animal feeding operations. Okay. And that ranges from cattle, that could be uh, llamas, it could be like other animals as well. Mm -hmm. And that, um, system hasn't actually changed for many, many years. Mm. And we're at a system now where it's, you pay $100 to $300, depending on the size of your operation. Mm. And CAVOs have a, a quite an impact on our environment. Um, and so one example is like, we're working on figuring out how to get them to pay a little bit more so they can support inspectors who will go and hold them uh, responsible for their operations. What's the impact on the environment specifically? Um, so. Depending on the size, CAFOs can be extremely environmental, uh, environmentally damaging. Mm -hmm. um, not only do they use a lot of water, but you have to take care of the animal waste. Yeah. Um, there's a, an example from uh, from the news fairly recently uh, with this CAFO that's called Lost Valley, and they had extreme issues with their conditions. Mm. Um, animals were basically off to their knees in waste. Yeah. So not only is it an animal welfare problem, but it's a human health problem. Yeah. Um, so we want to make sure that never happens again. And although that is one bad actor out of out of hundreds of, of uh, you know contained uh, confined animal feeding operations, mm -hmm. we want to make sure that the environment is still protected. So mm -hmm. that's just like one example. That For I'm sure. Having. Now, just kind of rewinding back, how did you get to this position? of being you know, so environmentally focused and going into this work? Like, was it something in your childhood or maybe in high school? Like, what sparked that desire to go into this line of work? Yeah, so um, I, I'm not exactly 100% sure where it comes from. Mm. My family was not outdoorsy. We don't have hikes and bikes and stuff <laughs> like that that we do in Portland. There's not beautiful mountains and scenery in Maryland? No. no? Oh. <laughs> I haven't been there. There's so the Blue Hill Mountains, but like Blue Ridge Mountains, but they're in Virginia, and it's, it's not mm. the same. It's not like seeing Mount Hood or Mount Rainier, For sure. or Mount St. Helens like every day. Mm -hmm. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, but we didn't really do that. My my mom was a Foreign Service office officer, mm -hmm. and so we lived overseas as well. And she would just be driving back and forth from Maryland to DC every day. It's about mm -hmm. an hour drive every mm -hmm. day, sometimes more depending on traffic. And I I guess I kind of grew up just loving animals mm. for some reason. I just felt like, oh, they're cute little creatures. We should protect them. Mm -hmm. um, and I also grew up you know, playing outdoors, and I would collect bugs. I would collect flowers. And I think that kind of brought my connection to nature. Um, and actually, a lot of my environmental inspiration came from TV. Wow. 
I uh, grew up in the 80s and watched shows like Seabird and Captain Planet. Mm. And <laughs> who knows Captain Planet? <laughs> who doesn't know Captain Planet? Not a lot of people know Seabird, but it was about like the seal. I haven't heard, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't heard of Seabird. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was at the, the height of when, like the 90s, when they were like clubbing seals. Oh, okay. Uh, like, <laughs> Seal cubs to make yeah. fur, and okay. they're they're white when they come out. So it's like oh, like really soft or whatever. Yeah. And so this TV show is all about this little white seal that would go around with this this pack of teenagers, and they would like do stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. I don't remember that, but I remember Seabird. Um, and then Captain Planet, of course, was like a really big inspiration to me, and I always wanted to like get out there and save the world somehow. Mm -hmm. um, I also grew up overseas okay. in different places like Indonesia and India. Um, China, uh, Germany, and Nigeria. Wow. And I feel like being in those places as a young child really colored my view of the world. Mm -hmm. um, it was during a time when there was a lot of pollution, but I also had access to a jungle in my backyard, basically. That's awesome. Now, let's go back, let's go back even further. Seven-year-old Emil. Yes. To be specific. Yes. <laughs> did you have any opportunities to have any type of like environmental learning programs back then when you were that young. Was, was there any access to that for you? So there, there really wasn't. Um, half of my uh, time as a seven-year-old was spent in Indonesia, and mm -hmm. there wasn't really any outdoor program. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to see like bats and parrots across the road from my <laughs> house, so that's I mean, that's a that. good education, but um, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, and then when I was in the States, I really didn't have a a program like Camp Elsa to, mm. to take me out and enjoy the wilderness. I actually hated camping. Wow. When I was little, I was in Girl Scouts for a very, very long time and remember being in a tent and it was raining. I was like, this is awful. Um, <laughs> I, I do enjoy camping now, but um, <laughs> I think a lot of my just exposure and environmental background really was with um, the education I got. I remember we made a terrarium that, that captured uh, like the air that was made in a Coke bottle. Mm -hmm. um, we did that, but other other than that, I really had no access to to like the great outdoors, like mm -hmm. the kids at Camp Elso did. Oh, so what you're saying is Camp Elso is, is amazing. Camp Elso is amazing, of course, yes. You would have loved Camp Elso. Oh yeah, you, oh. absolutely. Look at that. Fortunately, Camp Elso exists, guys. This is amazing. This if is I could just turn back the clock, yeah. be a seven-year-old again. Yeah. It's okay, but now we have we have that for the future for the kids. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes. Now, based upon your experience and the work that you've done in Portland and all throughout Oregon, um, what are some pressing issues that you can think of that's affecting you know communities of color, north northeast, maybe out east towards Gresham, environmentally? Like what what are some things that are going on that we really have some opportunities to to correct? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess. Um, let me, let me kind of start like expanding on it and then get to For lower sure. level of what we can actually control. Yeah. Um, so obviously climate change is the, the biggest crisis of our time right now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really the frontline communities, low income communities, rural communities, native communities, people of color mm -hmm. that are gonna feel the biggest brunt of that because we haven't had the ability to prepare ourselves in the face of a natural disaster, mm -hmm. an emergency, um, a situation where we run out of water. Mm. So um, I feel like that's probably the biggest issue of our time. And 
is really difficult because we're, we're in the society that tells us that we need to use as much as we can. That's mm. like in a society of scarcity. So you think in Portland we're gonna run out of water eventually because of global warming? Well, there's actually, um, maybe not Portland, but there have been a few cities in Oregon that have run out of water. Really? Yes, so um, Prineville, Oregon has, they've, they've run into those issues. Okay. Um, Salem, Oregon had an issue with uh, harmful algal blooms where people couldn't drink the water. Wow. Um, so I think those are some examples. It, it's, um, there was a recent story about uh, South Africa running out of water. Wow. And I was like, okay, that's something that could never happen here and actually mm. is happening mm. in many small towns all over Oregon. So when I see my quarterly water bill and I get mad, <laughs> I should, I should you, can, you can still get mad. Because <laughs> I hear what people is paying out in Gresham for their water bill and I see my water bill, I'm like, hold on, man, what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but just, uh, I guess the, the regulation and, uh, and um, there's so many things around water right now. Okay. Not just the access to it, but the quality of water how much we have, it all is very dependent and impacted by climate change. Mm -hmm. um, and one way that climate change impacts the quality of water is that the more temperatures rise up, the more chance that you're gonna have um, algae grow to disproportionate amounts and not being able to be controlled. Mm -hmm. And especially in a place like Portland where we have a natural source of water, we need to be very careful about how we manage that. For sure. Um, and I don't know, like if, if push comes to shove, like will we be prepared to I mean, Portland is growing like crazy, as we all know. You know, you all, some of y'all is in traffic because of how how much Portland has grown so much. So, um, at the clip that Portland is growing, do you think that like in the next ten to fifteen years, yes. that's going to be a real issue? Like, we're going to really run out of water, or just like just have issues with the, the cleanliness of our water? Yeah, I think I think it's a very serious issue. Um, I'm actually making plans to start storing bottled water just mm. in case something. Um, and I think that's one thing that we as individual people can do. Not only are we make, should we make, be making changes to live a zero waste lifestyle or mm -hmm. consume less, but just preparing ourselves for the future. Um, Self-sufficiency and self-sustainability I think are extremely important, mm -hmm. especially for black and brown folks because we've been systematically um, disadvantaged from engaging in those types of things. And was there, was there anything else that we're, that's going on in Portland that you think is like something that we really need to know about that people aren't paying attention to? Sure, um, I wouldn't say that people aren't paying attention to it because um, there's, there's quite a few environmental justice organizations and people who are, are looking at the issues of um, not just water pollution, but air pollution. Yeah. Um, Portland is one of the highest, uh, highest like contaminated um, air polluted spaces Really? In cities in, in America right now. Yeah, there was a study last year. Um, because of all the fires as well, like our, our numbers spiked up really Oh, the wildfires, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. But because a lot of us live by um, highway corridors and industrial areas, we're like directly exposed to it. Yeah. Um, in the past, when Portland was planned and designed, they weren't considering throwing away, like the impact of throwing away industrial waste into water mm. or having industry like right next to schools and, yeah. and homes. Yeah. Um, a lot of homes in Portland are made out of old materials, a lot of schools are made out of old materials, so mm -hmm. that's something to consider as well. Yeah. Not only with asbestos contamination, but other types of chemicals that you don't know the impacts of. For sure. 
Now, I typically end every podcast episode with the Fab Five. Five questions that I ask everybody. I'm going to do a little bit different version. I didn't, I didn't send these to you, so you're not okay. prepared for this. But uh, uh, this, this, this will be the green line edition of the Fab Five. So question number one, what is your most pleasurable memory of an outdoor experience, like a hike, going through the forest, seeing a waterfall? Uh, what's your most pleasurable memory of an outdoor experience? Like ever, not as a, just as a child. Just ever, ever in life. Um, so I actually went on a trip with the Environmental Professionals of Color um, quite a few years back. It was actually my first time going to a state park, mm. which is actually pretty embarrassing considering <laughs> I've been in Portland for seven years. Um, I tried to go to Mount Hood last year and it was bald, so that's not gonna mm. make my list. Um, but we went to the coast, we went to, I think, Oxbow Park, and it was really nice. I was able to take my dog. I was surrounded by black and brown folks who were supportive of each other. We had a great time. We had a barbecue. Okay. We looked at some dunes, which I've never seen before. Um, and I had only been to Seaside and Astoria before, so I think that was a fairly, like, just, hey, maybe I do like camping. It's like, type of experience. That's dope. Eddie, were you there? Were you, were you out there? We gotta make sure he goes next time. Yeah. Okay. Question number two: uh, Do you have a favorite movie or documentary that's environmentally based? Oh, that's hard. You know, that's that's really hard. Um, a lot of the documentaries I watch are kind of depressing, mm -hmm. so uh, <laughs> I I want to be so careful. <laughs> so Our Planet just came out on Netflix. Have you guys yes. seen that? It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's on my binge list. Um, you, got, you have to watch yeah. that. I, I love nature shows. I, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of them written, uh, narrated by Attenborough. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I definitely go with those. Um, there's a whole bunch of like food series documentaries I've seen. Mm -hmm. One of the most extreme ones that I've seen about like I guess animal abuse is Earthlings. Mm -hmm. I think it's on YouTube, narrated by Joaquin Phoenix, and that's pretty intense. For sure. Um, but I would say like all those nature shows is something that I truly enjoy. Awesome, awesome. Question number three. When you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Uh, sleep. <laughs> sleep is good. Yeah, sleep, sleep is, is good. good. Uh, I'm an introvert, so I need to like pull back from social engagements mm -hmm. quite often. Um, I also love to still like dance around my apartment and listen to music. I listen to music like every day. Right. There's at least two, uh, two or three hours that of me just listening to music. Sometimes the same song over and over. Yeah. So question number four: If you could recommend one book that would educate us on the environment or just environmental issues, what would it be? Um, there is a great book that was written a long time ago. It talks about environmental justice, but you're just kind of like while you're reading it. Uh, while I was reading, I was just like, "Ooh, yes." Okay. Oh, I need to put the book down for a second. Think about what I just gotta, read. Got to process it. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's called Faces from the Bottom of the Well. Mm. Um, I highly recommend that book. It's very short, so easily digestible. Awesome. Awesome. Last question has nothing to do with the environment. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. It's kind of deep. Okay. Jesse, you know what's coming. <laughs> what message do you want communicated at your eulogy? For all the youth, huh? For all the youth. For, for anybody. Okay. Um, I guess the biggest one I want to communicate is 
first off, like not being afraid to just be yourself. Um, as I was going on this journey into becoming an environmentalist, not having really much support from my family or my friends in that regard, they would, they would kind of tell me like, oh, like environmental science seems too hard, like why don't you do education instead? And I was like, that's, edu educators are really important, education is important, it's needed, but I just felt like that wasn't my calling. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like you need to strive and just keep Fueling your passion and your calling, whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's you know <laughs> creating uh, wonderful media or, or interacting with the environment or education or art or or music or uh, politics, I feel like that's the biggest thing that you just need to find your passion and, and learn how to grow that. Um, can I add one more? Go ahead. You got okay. It. So the other one is just like um, continuing to be involved in what's happening around us. I know. We're I know I'm fatigued from all the stuff that's happening on the national level with, mm -hmm. you know, Trump. Yep. Um, I know that's kind of a bad word. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. It's like Voldemort. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I feel like there's so much happening at the state level, at the county level, at the local Portland level, on your neighbor, in your neighborhood. And I really encourage people to get involved and make sure your voice is heard. Um, there's quite a few more privileged people who are doing that exact thing, same thing mm -hmm. and making sure they're the loudest voice in the room to fix their sidewalks. Sure. But in, there are some areas that don't have sidewalks. Yeah. So that's just like one example of that. Continuing to, to push and strive for it that I would encourage people to do. And just, just get involved. Um, whether that's volunteering for Camp Elsa or mm. coming, coming to a lobby day in the Capitol, I'll, I'll say hi to you. Um, I think being a part of your community and make, trying to realize that you can make a change and making that change is super important. I can dig it. It doesn't matter it. what age you are either. Word. So you guys heard it from Amir. Get involved in your community, be yourself, live your passions. Because y'all give her a hand real quick. Thank you so much. But now she wants some time away from me. I wanna live my dream. Oh. So there you have it, y'all. Did she live up to your expectations? Did I hype her up enough? I probably didn't. But I hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Um, now coming up next is brother Eddie Hill. Uh, Eddie is an urban planner, a community systems designer. Um, he currently serves as the program manager and developer of the Eco Districts Accelerator Program, and he's also the development manager of the Black Community Food Systems Initiative, which is located in Northeast Portland. This man has lived all over the world. He's done a lot of things. He has a lot of experience and a very unique story. So uh, coming up next, without further ado, Brother Edward Hill. Come on, everybody. I just Can I say, can I take, can I take your story? Go ahead, real story, okay, so Eddie, and, and so feel free to call me Eddie. There are people that have only met me as Edward Hill. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is, white men take me more seriously when I say Edward and not Eddie. Eddie's a nickname in the white community. And like, like Eddie for 
for the average, you know, it's kind of American guy. Eddie's like the Latino dude who like fixes body work, does body work down in South Central. You know, Eddie, Eduardito. So, and it's not to belittle the Eddies in the world, because I am one. Named Eddie at birth, it's on my birth certificate. But Edward is a professional. I decided in graduate school to use Edward and test it out, and it worked. Mm. Like people listen to me when I say Edward Hill. I used to get interviews and job interviews when they say Edward Hill. So if you, you know, then I get there and they're like, you know. So it, it's been an interesting thing with with Eddie, like you know Maggie or Margaret, right? Or you know, the, like like just power through language and power through name. And I didn't think that was a real thing until I tested it out. It actually worked. The funny thing is, my dad's name is Edward, and he doesn't like Eddie because it's like. You know, they, they don't respect him. So I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a, yeah, it's, it's like a short, you know, where like Tone, like who calls somebody Tone? It's like, no, your name is Anthony. I, I have a PhD. My name is Anthony Wilson. It's like Tone Wilson on your, on your PhD, on your dissertation. Hey, but, but Tone is kind of hard, though. Tone is hard. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to listen to a rapper named Anthony Lope. <laughs> But if it's Tone Loke, okay, all right, you got my attention. No, Anthony Loke is not getting it, bro. He's not making any hits, I'm sorry. All right, how you doing, man? Thank you, thank you for coming, man. We appreciate you sharing your time, sharing your energy. So tell the people a little bit who you are, where you're from, a little bit about your educational background, Brother Eddie. I didn't get educated until I was old. Um, yeah, the streets educated me in Chicago. Yeah, so no, so really, um, I'm mostly like a middle class Hustable kid from the south side of Chicago. But before Hustables were like, you know, like my parents didn't own any actual original art; they bought prints, right? You know, that were like twenty dollars. You could frame it, and you had a Lorraine, Han not Lorraine Hansberry, that's a, a, a writer. The um, it was a bunch of artists that that Bill Cosby used to put on the wall in his shows, right? We can say. Okay, artist, not the person. So the, the, um, the, the artwork, the African-American art was a part of my life. My parents did a lot to uh, keep up with the Joneses. And the Joneses were real close to me. And the Joneses in my community were my two, my auntie and uncle, her first uncle, or first cousin, aunt, who they grew up with in New Orleans, who had triple PhDs. She was super extra smart. My mom was smart. She had one PhD. But like her, her cousin had three PhDs. So they was always chasing Chasing them, right? They moved to California. They she, just, she just lived in school. Yeah, so, so we was, I grew up, my mom's a school teacher. I grew up in, in schools. I did, I, I cut out the letters and did the bulletin boards for my mom when I was a kid in the 70s. Um, and so then I'll, 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 there'll be a lot of age, age placing comments in my note, in my, my discussion here. So, um, so I, what were we talking about? <laughs> About your, your educational oh, background, so brother. <laughs> my mother is my first educator. So I grew up around a bunch of black women who were smart and way more uh, hands-on and community engaged than the black men in my family. I did not sit in the dining room while they were smoking cigars watching some sport on black and white TV. I sat in the kitchen and I listened. And that's like, that's, black women created and educated me. They were my first teacher, my first food, and my first like healing. So let the church say amen. 
It seems like there's a certain level of hustle, certain level of ambition, certain level of creativity. A lot of great creative people. 
come out of Chicago, whether it's music or any any facet of life? What is it about that place, man? Um, I think it's the first LA. So for the United States, Chicago was the first LA, right? So like people staged up in Missouri, right? They were like, I go to Chicago and then I'll stage up in Missouri and we'll hit the Oregon Trail. So Chicago was the first West Coast. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, urban planning started, you know, Burnham, the Burnham plans, the, you know, the, the, not the Olmsteads per se, because they were in New York in launch, but a lot of that, that big city thinking that, I'm an urban planner, sorry, I went to school for urban planning at 42 at UW, because the professor thought I was an urban planner, and I told him I wasn't, he said, damn, you're broke, right? And I said, yes, he said, you need to professionalize your work, you need to be that thing that you're, you're already doing. And it, which helped me, and, and now I'm 53, so, and I have a job and actual money. Hey, doesn't he look good for 53 years? You keep, you keep talking about the 70s. I'm like, man, you ain't no older than 39 or 40. What are you talking about? It's not the veganism. So my liver looks 82. <laughs> so, so I, you know, Chicago has this thing, and, and, and I don't know why it has this thing. I'm not quite sure it has, why it has this thing, but it's critical, you know, like, analyze it yourself. Why is Chicago important to you and people who've been, raise your hands if you've been in Chicago. Um, people who have been, what is it about that, you know, other than like barbecue and, you know, Harold's Chicken and, and, the, and the bean and the awesome grandiose architecture and, I don't know, just the bold Chicago spice that's not Louisiana spice and it's better than St. Louis. I don't know. So, so, I'm just saying. So, <laughs> So smarter than Detroit, but you know, like I'm just so sad. Yeah, we build we build city, not cars. But so um I don't know what it is about Chicago, but for me as an urban planner, Chicago gave my father the opportunity as a Chicago cop who actually was at the Democratic Convention in 68 to meet people. And um, my mother took me to that convention, and I saw, well, not convention, but I was out at the park, and I got to see uh, Fred Hampton and some other people, they got killed, and some other people from the party speak when I was three years old. And I have these things, right? I also grew up down the block from Operation Push. So, you know, I don't know what it is, Jesse Jackson, Operation Push, the original rainbow flag, not the new one. So just look it up, it's history. So the... Jesse was working with the Latinx community in North Chicago. It's a whole takeover thing. It was interesting how that happened. So my dad was a cop. My mom was a teacher. And I was, you know, Chicago has this dynamic tension where I both saw people getting shot on the street, but I also saw PhDs and Michelle Obama go to high school. So, so you see this. There's enough of us. There's 1.6 million black people in Chicago. You know, there's 1.6 million people in Multnomah County, and only 3% of them are black people. So if you talk about like capacity building, the ability for me to see more than just gangsters or Chirac, or you know, I saw you know, I saw PhDs and, and you know, I saw doctors and lawyers, I saw people who were professors, I saw people who were engineers and street workers and people who cleaned the street every week that didn't have a house that were homeless but had suits that were pressed and had hats and still sweep the street, Mr. Wilson, right? And carry groceries for 25 cents. So I got that range. That's Chicago. Mm. You know, like Chicago's like, yeah, we beat down, but yeah, I'm gonna hustle up. Yeah. You know, which, you know, is a, is a culture that is, is that, that you, with history, you have. Word. Now, before we get into your professional experience, I have to ask you this question. Um, <clears throat> I am 34 years old. 
my hairline is leaving me. You are 53 and you have a very beautiful hairline. I'm not gonna lie to you. How? I need to know what do I need to do to maintain a clean hairline? Like what? I'm struggling. This is this is awful. That obviously has nothing to do with environmental justice. I need to know. How? How? <laughs> I need I need help. I need help. environment 
in which to live, play, and work. So for my community, it's something different than the folks who live in Madison Park in Seattle, or in Lentz, or in, 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 in Northeast in the hills. Definitely something different. Like, I like that, but a steep slope is going to kill you in the big place. So again, the most negative health impacts in Oregon in terms of air pollution has been in Northeast with ESCO, which some of the richest people, which I flipped my mind, was some of the richest people, white people, rich people in Portland are the most impacted by toxic air pollution, which is fascinating to me as a researcher. I'm like, wow, and they're still not doing anything about it. So you really don't do anything for us, and then you really don't do things for yourself. So th that gave me some insight as to how things really work, how humans, like the humanity of this dysfunction, right? Like, like if you put, and I've been to South Africa, if you put we're speaking to your water situation. I was in South Africa two years ago doing work with the city of Cape Town. We were in a room, could solve the problem, and what did they do? They lifted the water clogs. The, they were like, yeah, we're gonna, not going to do this. Why? Because it was about to get serious. And they were like, if we interrupt our revenue stream and we get rid of tourism and people start turning foul, and we don't have a way to manage that, which they didn't. They said, let's just let the problem see if it could work. What if it rains next year? So they canceled the, you know, the, 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 the zero day, which they already had the whole country ready to go to zero day. Like, people were on board. We had planners. We had the city of, we had Johannesburg, Cape Town. We had the, the mayor. We had the ANC on board. People were ready to roll. And then they were like, corporations say, no, let's go ahead and lift that and just like see how it goes. So now they're gonna see how it goes. They'll never get the amount of people who they, ha they had people in their hands to where they, they could actually decide that a more positive fate. Equity says at that choice point, they made a choice, right? And they made the, 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 the choice that was safer for economy, recent, current economy, versus a long-term survivability. At this point today, they don't know if they're gonna survive, if Cape Town will be there in 10 years. Right? And there's all kinds of other stuff that, that's happening in Cape Town I can tell you about in another time. Somebody call me and I'll talk somewhere else. But was it how I got into this work or what am I doing in this work? Yes, sir. Yeah, so, so I was a Boy Scout. I breathed acid rain in Chicago. I, I ended up, I was an organic farmer in Olympia. I, I watched the Shell Mound protest. I left the Bay Area in 95. I fought against Connie Rice and, and, and the Chevron plants in Richmond, California, and I, I ended up on a farm becoming a food justice person because agriculture, I saw agriculture as a way for me to not be completely depressed and, 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 and you know, light myself on fire at a protest in front of things that I knew that I couldn't make a difference about. Like, Connie Rice wasn't even where she is, and I, I, we, could, we knew we couldn't stop that. I left the Bay Area and moved to Olympia, Washington, and raised my daughter, my first daughter, who is now, you know, working on some stuff we'll talk about later. But, <laughs> but I probably ate up all my time. So, the the what has brought me into this work is, for me, is that I, even though I'm not genetically native, I'm Nepalese. Um, <laughs> I still, at my core, have been an environmentalist since I was born. And there's something about nature, there's something about those walks in the, in, in the park, there's something about climbing trees, there's something about, about biology, there's something about all of those things that I never had the attention span to finish a degree in that 
that I am blessed that other people are doing it who look like me, because I just can't. I can spark you do it, but I can't finish it. So that's not my job. My job is to, you know, be a comedian with this stuff. So the, it, but it's very serious in that 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 work has inspired me and kept me to, to, to spark with the skills that I have. I have found a place for myself to be this oddball, you know, slightly whatever thing, you know, like cool person to, to talk about this work and promote it and, and act as a liaison. Like I, I found my place in the movement where I can act as an intermediary between between people who in the community who don't want to listen to white people, talk to them and ask them questions about what they need and what they want and what, you know, what do you really want? And, and I don't understand. Why are so stressed? Um, you know, like, what's disparity mean? And start crying. And, 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 and then on the other side, I just an intermediary between the black people who are like, you know, like, listen, I ain't trying to learn that and stuff. I don't know, you know, like, I don't want to know what's up. You know, like, like the government killed, you know, the, the Tupac. And, like, and I still might need, you know, I still want short ribs and, and neck bone in my, in, in my veins. And I'm like, okay, but can we locally source that neck bone? <laughs> Can it be like organically raised, please? Raised by a black farmer? Who raises pigeons? You know, people raise, there's, I just met a farmer who's got 500 acres. And I mean, this is down south. There's things in Portland and the northwest and in Seattle. I, I spent 20 years in Seattle too, and I've been here six years. There's people, stuff in the northwest that culturally it's unfortunate, and, and we're working on it. But there are things that are just absent from the history that don't allow people of color to, to ground themselves in it. Like there is no, it, people are not surprised when they, they hear that a black person owns a thousand acres of land and they are selling food to USDA commodities. That's not a thing that you, you go, oh my God, I didn't know that. You don't do that in Atlanta or Georgia or Alabama or, or Arkansas or Missouri or Minneapolis. Um, you, you do that in places where we are. And that's, that's a reality, of, that's a human reality. Like, well, why is Portland man more black? Because it's an apartheid state. Right. And, and it was set up for this. And that's not a bad thing, not to blame new people, it, as long as you don't promote that stuff and, 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 and hold up as a barrier to the evolution of, of, of this community here, um, both socially, morally, and ethically. But you know, aside from that, the, 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 type of, the, the type of experience that a lot of us who move from other places look for can't be here. Like we, we are the catalyst of change and support to help work with local community, to, 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 to be with community. And, and y'all know as black folks coming to Portland that there's, a, you know, there's been a thing, but it's less of a thing now over the last six, seven years of merging with the rest of the country. Like Portland is growing up. And it's just not the black community. It's all of Portland's community who were locally born, locally raised, that had to deal with this crazy jacked up South Africa style stuff to come out of the trauma and be, being given the time to heal from that because there has been no formal statement of reconciliation around that, which South Africa did. They got other problems. You know, that's why they called me over there. But between us, we are very, we are more like Cape Town than we are Cleveland. So read up on that and, and think about that in terms of how we do our equity work and how we approach the situation. This is an apartheid state. This is the only apartheid state in the United States. Similar to, how many people have been in New Mexico? 
Okay, so New Mexico is very different than the United States. It's a unique America because the United States, not America, because America's North, South, Central, and Canada. So the United States, in terms of uh, New Mexico, is Spanish and native, and then there's some Americans. You know, you some United States, some Europeans, right? But Native Americans still live, they're not on reservations, they're on their pueblos. They're on land that they have, their ancestors' bones are 20,000 years. So, and there's Spanish colonization, like Minneapolis was founded by the Spanish, not the British. The way the city's laid out, the way things are designed, the way the social structure is, the Scandinavian cooperative thing, that's actually not Scandinavian Seattle cooperative thing, because that's like, Seattle's like Scandinavia after you do the Oregon Trail, which is like a crashy, upset Scandinavian. Not a happy, sharing Minneapolis Scandinavian. So, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. White folks, yeah, right? You feel me? Scandinavian! I'm Scandinavian now, so I can, I can represent. Hey, you know I am? I'm like 5% Scandinavian as well. My brother. Yeah! Yeah, yeah. We in here. Design. We in here. Design is the wrong. Sorry. <laughs> so, I thank you. No, scan design. So, Ikea is, eh, it's a cheap version. But anyway, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. What's the other questions? Is everybody on here? This is all right. Are y'all enjoying Eddie so far? Huh? So, um, just speaking to the black and brown folks in the building and those that'll be listening on, on the podcast, like what can we do? Like what were some things that you did for your daughter and what can we do moving forward to be able to raise our kids in a way that they're more environmentally conscious and just, just knowing what to do and, and how to live off the land, things of that nature. Like what, what are some things that we can do right now? Um, hang out over at Mudbone Grown Farm. Uh, get people to spread out and camp Elso. Um, I like that. You know, those are two. Those are two easy things. Um, okay, so so I have I have three I have three daughters of a variety of ages from three to twenty three. And um, yes, yeah, so that's a whole other story. George Clinton. I write a book about it. So wh- wh- what I what I what I have seen work. So, so my oldest daughter, just, she's, just got, she's in a PhD program working on cultural, uh, cultural anthropology, and she finished at UC Santa Cruz in three years, because I let her take some college classes in her senior year, and she went to a school like Catlin for three years, and then I let her senior year, I put her at Garfield High School in, in Seattle. Garfield, go back. So I did this thing to, 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 to test out, like my, if anybody knows this name, Vivian Paley is a, a kindergarten teacher. She wrote a couple of books. She's a major educator from the University of Chicago. So I was, my first teacher teacher was Vivian Paley. So Vivian Paley, uh, they created this thing called the, 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 the laboratory school at the University of Chicago in the early 70s. I went, I'm a product of the lab school. So all of my teaching, all of my core learning is that Nothing matters until you understand it by putting your hands on it. Nothing matters in, until you've tested it and you've, and, and you've experienced it. So my life is an example of that. I was an organic farmer, I, joined, I was in the military, I was a cop. I mean, I've done every, I was a surfer, professional surfer for a week. I, you know, I, 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 it was a couple of months, but 
I, I, you know, I have been, I'm an urban planner, I did youth programs, I'm a muralist, and it's, it's not that I'm jumping jobs, it's that my job is to examine and research life and then transmit that to my kids so that they can fold space and time. So my, I didn't go and finish my master's program until I was 43. My 23-year-old is applying for a PhD program and has her master's degree already. She's already making three times more money than I was, than I'm making now. But the, the, my job as a parent, and using the environment, my first, da my first daughter walked, crawled around the farm in Olympia and ate strawberries, unwashed strawberries with dirt. And because I knew what my soil was, and I knew that, that, that bacteria I knew as a veteran that my PTSD and the drugs I was on, I, I got off of them in, 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 in 1995, 96, because I was smelling the soil, because I was doing the work of my ancestors. So genetically, I was healed by environmental work, and I transferred that knowledge to my children actively by being, you know, funny like this and you know the corny dad stuff, but also delivering and working with people who care more, not so much more than I do, like the, you know, like, like I don't do work, but care in a way that's more focused than, than I can focus. Like I've, I've, I got 70% capacity after the stuff I've been through. So, you know, geez, Desert Storm, yeah. stuff, Chicago. I had PTSD before I went to the military. That's, I, I, you know, let's be real. So my dad was a cop, my great grandfather was a cop. One of the first cops, black cops in Chicago. My grandfather was one of the first black detectives in Chicago. So I grew up in like that, that drive zone, right? So, so that that, and I go to therapy. You know, the environment is, 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 is a therapy tool, and then the environment led me to a therapist, right? So, 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 so the environment again, getting back to that, where the whatever that, that impact of environment thing on both. You know, you say you want to uh, affect organizational change. Well, I, you know, I work for Growing Power for Will Allen. I, I know Malik Yakini. I do food justice work nationally, right? And we, we just launched with, with Arden Shante. We did the first ever black-focused farm conference in Corvallis in February. You know, so that's, you know, that, that, that's, and, and that needed to be done. And now there's 85 new African-Americans that are, that, that know that work, right? So again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be the, 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 the young elder and, and roll into that phase because I ain't trying to work like my knees is busted and <laughs> I, I can't work like that anymore. So now it's my job to like, you know, to do, I mean, some people in the room who I've given, you know, jobs to or networked or connected them to everything I know. And it's not because I'm trying to get anything out of it, because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what people from Chicago do. Like, if I can't do it, you can do it. Amira, Amira knows, you know, other folks know. It's just like Sprinter when she hooked me up. It's, it's just like, yo, let me get you in this meeting. I don't even know what makes sense to you, but just show up. So, so it's, you know, I don't know. That's, you know, and the environment, the environmental movement makes it easy for me to be myself. You know, I, I found a place in it. Like it, 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 I, it, the Boy Scouts didn't, didn't, didn't. The, you know, the, the Boy Scouts didn't do it. It wasn't a Native American, you know, tear thing with the trash. Those, those things, you know, the, the commercial in '76, right? I remember, 1976, '77, and he wasn't even a Native American. He was Italian. So Sicilian. So you know, 
Wikipedia, Wikipedia that. So the, you know, the, the I know I'm droning. There's, there's, there is a, there's something that needs to occur this year that requires that, that we, everybody in this room who's interested in being here, um, for us to do at a level that is critical. I mean, we know this, not just the dude who's up in the office. It's, it's you know, it, it has nothing to, to, to me, the environmental movement and the reality of our lives have nothing to do with who's in charge right now. Just like it didn't when Obama was in charge or it didn't when Jimmy Carter was in charge or it, didn't, it was nice to put solar panels on the, on the White House and then Reagan took them down. But, you know, does that mean that we changed our perception or did, did, that, did that affect me? Did that stop me from being an environmentalist? No, because you know I'm, I'm not going to sway with the winds of, and the tides. Just like I don't read most books about environment because you know it's the same. You know Michael Pollan and everybody else, and you know Buckmaster Fuller. It's the same theory. Like fix it, fix it now, and we have solutions and work together and be cool with each other and chill. Because this is the only planet you got, and we're not going to Beta Seven, and we can't get there. So forget about it. And Mars is going to suck. <laughs> They don't have ice cream on Mars. So that's a that's I a love Earth. I love Earth. Okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. So I don't know. Does that answer the question? Does that answer the question? That's good. That's good. Uh, quick, I, quick sidebar. I love y'all. Um, a small tangent. We got more time. Another small tangent. Just a small one. Okay. Did you see the movie Us? Have you seen that yet? Yes. No. no. Just based upon just based upon your personality, I wanted to hear your take on it, but you know, you haven't seen it yet. All right, so what do you what do you know about Hands Across America in 1986? What, what was that about? Oh. <laughs> it's like Teach for America 1992. Like, you see it's like like Food Corps 2015. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm not hating on nobody. I'm just saying. Like that was a big part of the movie. I didn't understand that part. Um, the Hands Across America thing is a wild. Yeah. So that so so movies. Um, the Umbrella Academy, watch that. Um, I'm sorry, it's the bomb. Um, uh, Kayaquasi. Oh, does anybody know about Kayaquasi and Kayaquasi and that whole series of books about the environment? Oh my, God. yeah. Get a glass, get a bottle of, of, of red wine or whatever you do in Portland, it's all legal, not everything, but you know, whatever you do and watch those. Watch Kayaquasi. It's like a series of environmental stuff that, like, it's it, like it's trigger warning. It's it's not a fun movie. It's it's a reality of humanity, but it's also a beauty, right? So we, we live in this this bipolar world, right? This binary world of beauty and tragedy, of drama and comedy. Of you know, the things I'm talking about are very serious. Like we are jacked, and we are not ahead of the curve, and we got work to do. And if we don't get over our simple human discord. This will be fun. Like we'll look back on this. Somebody will look back on this. We're all not going to die, but you know, right? <laughs> so, and that's not such a bad thing because bacteria. You know, human body is more bacteria than it is human cells, right? So they really rule the world. So we should be making friends and doing equity work with bacteria. <laughs> but we try to kill them all the time, and that's why they're getting resistant and we're having problems. So there's got to be a negotiation. If somebody can figure that out and facilitate. You said tangent. We need, we need some real DEI work for bacteria. I didn't know that. There's a career track for the future. 
the diversity in the bacterial world? Mmm, can't imagine. I'm sorry. Yeah, so let's, let's hit the Fab Five real quick. Okay, Fab Five. Question number one: What's your most what What's your most pleasurable memory of an outdoor experience, whether it's hiking or going to a waterfall, whatever the case may be? Um, yeah, I thought about this and wrote it down. I, I can't remember. Um, I oh yeah, I remember this one. Okay, so. This is a new baby, so any people, any people who had children, excuse me. I had a, I, I had my 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 two month old. I had an acre and a half. It, it was like the, like July, mid July in Olympia, Washington, in Black Lake, down by the Blue Heron Bakery. And the sun's coming up. It's about 7.30, 7 o'clock in the summer. She, she's she's a month old, and we. And the field was like everything was growing, and herons, blue herons, were flying by. And I was looking at the, you know, and I had my new child, and and there's strawberries, and there's corn growing, and food is happening, and I see like rabbits, and there's little rodents and crows, and I'm like, yo, man, this is like Africa, <laughs> you know, this is like I'm black right now, like I'm half up, and I have my child, and I'm like, I feel like. Like some like roots, I wanted to hold her up. You're like, ah! so you know, so that was you know, it was the perfect emergence of all the things I thought I was supposed to be doing. I had a job with the state and purse, and I'm farming, you know, as a hobby, and I got my baby. So that's my yeah. So that's that's my moment. That's dope. That's dope. Um, you you kind of already touched on this, but what did you have a favorite movie or documentary that's environmentally? Yeah, that's I, I watch the key. Aquasi, uh, they're pretty intense. I any dystopia movie, you know, anything that's got to do with like, you know, how things, how European culture sees the end of the world. Because mm -hmm. let's be clear, most dystopic, other than Octavia Butler, which is a great book, *We Did Terrible to Sober*. Because that's what's gonna happen. I mean, like she is telling, she told us what's gonna happen in the Northwest. Like read *Terrible to Sober*, and that's what's gonna, that's what we're gonna be dealing with. We're gonna be walking on the freeway with no with bare feet. And yeah, it's gonna be crazy. So, I mean, it's 30 years out, 40 years out, maybe. Don't worry about it. We good, we good, we can eat. We can go to food cart and So, party in Holocene. No. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, movies. Um, yeah, I like, I, I like, you know, I like, I like, um, I like sci-fi. Like, um, you know, the, 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 what do they call it? Uh, speculative fiction that seems to be becoming more real now. Mm. Um, so you kind of already touched on it, so the, the book that you would recommend for all Terrible of us to read. Terrible Disorder. Terrible Disorder. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, that's one of the ones. Let me, let me not, anything about Winona LaDuke. So, like, yeah. read that. Uh, Farming Wild Black by Leah Penniman. Uh, Black Faces, White Spaces, Carolyn Penny. And uh, anything by France Fanon, like take it back, like do some black, you know, black faces, white masks or something, or you know, go back to France Fanon and you know, go back to some, you know, some some post, some uh, pan-Africanist, you know, post-Kwame Ture, or right in Kwame Ture zone, like pan-Africanist movement, a lot of social critique from the 50s and 60s from, from pan-Africanists. You want to get into that. When you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Um, no, um, 
take a long lunch break from and the kids are at home and like, nobody's at home and I do a salt like a salt bath. There's a couple of medicine women that I buy you know salt stuff from and you know and I'll go just lay in a tub and do you know because magnesium salts help your body activate it's you know, sort of the, it activates a lot of the, the chemistry in your body so when you do you know Epsom salt baths and soaks and you add that there's something about magnesium that triggers other things in your body that chills you out so I you know you know vaping is nice and medibles are cool but you know in terms of like clean around children you know it, 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 it's again I got off of citalopram and got off of antidepressants and all the other stuff so um, and I'm old enough to like manage my own self-management so the the uh, sitting on the back porch and just breathing, staring at my three-year-old or the fourteen-year-old, you know, like acknowledging the, them and my spending time with them, turning on turning off my phone and hanging out with the kids, and and personal the, the bath, the soaking thing for about a half an hour, and turn on some like orb or like uh, like the down chill tempo channel on Spotify. It's like Spotify is like the Bible. It's wonderful. It has saved my life. Like, oh my god, yeah, so I can listen to anything, Morrissey, The Cure, and like, you know, PJ Harvey. So those are all people that, that were random, but I listened to them this morning, so. So Epsom salts, like that's, it really helps. I always thought like my mom was just like telling me something that her grand, that my grandma told her to do, yeah. and I was sitting in the bathroom, I'm, I'm, I'm sore, oh you need some Epsom salt. I'm just like, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't need salt in the water. I just. <laughs> I need to ice my ankle, mom. Like my ankle sore. Your body needs salt. Okay. And magnesium specifically. That's why you get my magnesium citrate with calcium. Magnesium citrate because magnesium helps to activate. You know, like milk doesn't do the body good. You know, because it, it leaches iron, and, and you can't. If it doesn't have magnesium to activate it, and people can check in. I'm sure there's nutritionists, the scientists in the room could be better solve this problem. But I feel, or I've been actually, I thought I was Native American too. So, so. I was told, I read on Wikipedia, that the magnesium in the body helps activate the other, it balances the chemistry, whatever it does. I soak, it works, get some medicine, take a bath. Asia, I need you to fact check that. I don't I'm just like. <laughs> Question uh, four, five. We on five. We on five. Okay. What message do you want communicated at your eulogy? That he raised his three daughters well. Yeah. Quick. That's it. You can't go wrong with that. No, there's a lot with that. Like you say that, like people say that. You know, like if a woman at your eulogy says that about you, then that just sort of like yeah, that, that, that sums it, it up. Oh, that sums yeah. it up. Yeah. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody else saying nothing. That's it. Then drink. Have a party. If, if y'all do come to my funeral, if you're alive and come to my funeral, do not cry. Do, I mean, you'll cry, but drink and party and make sure the DJ, just so you know, make sure the DJ's playing house music. And yeah, don't have it be, don't have it be sad. Don't have, don't have no sad party about me. Any, any drinks in particular that you prefer? Death free. Death free. Huh? Any, any, any drinks that you, in particular that you prefer that we have at Whiskey drink? gingers. Okay. This is recorded, so that will definitely happen at your funeral. That's my you. There we go. Thank you. I will be dead at some time in this century. 
Brother, I appreciate you. I love you, man. Y'all give it up for Brother This was a special night, man. Salute to you, Sprinter. Thank you for allowing me to be able to do this. I was honored. Salute to you, Amira, Eddie. I appreciate y'all. You guys were amazing guests. The best way that we could do a great job putting on for Elso. And man, for Socks and Sandals, this is a big night, man. So once again, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews, grace, and peace. I'll like y'all next time.